All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, you want to turn them on and get them ready. Um, uh, remain standing for the reading of the word, if you would. First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. Uh, when you find that, say, I got it. Right, it'll be up on the screen for you as well. Uh, the word of the Lord comes to us saying, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We'll continue in our series. You may be seated. Continue our series today. Uh, uh, Exile studies in First Peter. Today we want to talk to you about submission that glorifies Christ. Submission that glorifies Christ. Christ. Amen. Amen. Now I want to start off by saying this. Several years ago, uh, believe it or not, I was 20 years old. A <laughs> 20-year-old manager of a uh, convenience store in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and I, got, I got the managerial position at such a young age. I was I was surprised that I was even selected to be the manager, uh, and, and in my exuberance of, of being the manager, I, I never considered the character of the store owner. All I could visualize was the increase that was going to be on my paycheck. Amen. Someone's going to identify with that, right? Now, prior to being the manager, I rarely even spoke to the store owner. He owned several stores, and when he came in, he spoke and generally said little else as long as we were working. <laughs> then one day, I suddenly uh, was promoted to manager because the prior manager was caught stealing from the store. I was young, confident, and brash, and in my mind, I was in my mind, in my mind, I was ready for every eventuality that would arise. Now, one day while preparing the deposit from the previous day's cash receipts, I noticed that a sizable sum of money was missing from the register of one of the employees. Now, I had been off that day, that previous day, so uh, I had not been at the store, and I, uh, when I found this out, I immediately notified the owner who came into the store in a hurry, and together we verified that the cash was indeed missing. I then inquired of him what the next move would be regarding to the employee who was responsible for the register. I expected that there would be a meeting and possibly some disciplinary action up to and including the dismissal of that employee. Now, much to my surprise, the owner looked me straight in the eye and told me in emphatic terms that I would need to go and submit to a polygraph test. I was shocked, angry, and even embittered that he would have the audacity, the nerve, and the unmitigated gall to question my integrity. Especially in light of the fact that the young lady whose register was missing cash was a person he hired without the usual interview process. <laughs> She came to our store after he called one day and said he had hired someone and I should train them. Uh, when I asked her what she did before she began working for our company, she said she was still employed as an exotic dancer. <laughs> so I was angry. Angry 
mean that I was asked to submit to what I viewed as a character attack when I clearly had nothing to do with the circumstance because I didn't even work on the day that the money came up missing. I was so angry, thought about my rights being violated. I considered where where the legal action was appropriate. And I badly wanted to tell him what he could do with his job. I know y'all been holy your whole life. You never <laughs> you never said anything like that, right? Okay. <laughs> now, eventually, I took the, the polygraph test and passed it, but I was never the same at that job anymore. I never even wanted to speak to my boss. My feelings were hurt because I knew that I had been persecuted innocently. Now, last week, my brothers and sisters, those of you who are here, we heard a dynamic message from Brother Kim Berry about the call of believers to submit to governing authorities in a politically charged environment like the United States of America, that call is critical to every believer. We must resist with all spiritual strength the urge to denigrate, defame, depreciate, or even uh, uh, hurt in any way the person of elected leaders with whom we have policy disagreement. Social media. Oh, y'all ain't got to get quiet on that. Social media is often the launching pad for such attacks. And it's a shame that these attacks on the person of elected officials emanate from the keyboard or the keypad of Christians. One can expect such from those who do not follow Christ. But believers... Regardless of our political persuasions, God calls us, God calls his children to a higher standard when it comes to submitting to authorities. I knew it wasn't going to be many amens right there, but now every now and then you'll just hear me say, preach by yourself, Pastor. Just. <laughs> In fact, some of us actually don't have much trouble with submitting to governing authorities as long as we do not have to interact with them. Now, now there was a, a, a movie a little while ago um, uh, by Mel Gibson. It's called The Patriot. And uh, uh, this, this, this illustration here might help you understand what I mean. Uh, his character in The Patriot uh, makes an observation about rebelling against the king of England. And he says this. He says, why should I worry about one tyrant 3,000 miles away when I have 3,000 tyrants one mile away? And so, and so as long as we don't have to deal with governing authorities, it's pretty easy to get along with them as long as we don't have to encounter them. But when we have close encounters with these authorities is where we are best tested regarding our willingness to submit. For example, what happens when you're stopped by the police? What happens to your demeanor? As soon as you see those flashing lights in your rearview mirror. What happens to your demeanor, especially nowadays in our charged society? Uh, what happens if you're a minority person and you see those lights? Let me, let me tell you how, how this can affect you. Um, a few months ago, I was coming off the toll road and I was violating the law. At least two laws. <laughs> One was the speed in which I was traveling. And, and I was getting off right here at Broadway. And the other law I was violating because my car is a smaller car and the engine kind of loud. And I was having trouble hearing the person I was talking to. So I had the phone up to my ear. And I'm riding and driving. I'm not even thinking about it. Get off. And, and I get off right here at Broadway and come up, come up Broadway. It's on my way back to circle around to the, to the church. And, and all of a sudden, I see right next to me is the police. I mean, literally, he's looking at me like this. <laughs> so naturally, you know, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I get pulled over. 
And 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 given given the circumstances of how these things happen, I get pulled over. And the first thing I do is I get this kind of kind of uh, demeanor about myself where I'm going to make sure he knows that I'm complying with everything. And so he pulls me over. I let the window down. I say, yes, officer, good evening. And I got my hands up there where he can see. And he says, well, I need to see your license and registration. And I say, officer, I am reaching in my back pocket to get my license, uh, my wallet, and these kind of things. I want you. And this was a black officer. I want you to understand how you don't have a problem submitting to government authority until they, until you have to deal with them. Until have, how does this affect you? So Ken reminded us in last week's message that we must submit to all government authorities with the attitude of Christ. But now this week, it gets personal. I can live my life and never meet the president. I can never meet the congressman, the senator, governor, or my mayor, but I have to deal with my boss every day. (laughs) I have to go to work. Those of us who have jobs, we have to go to work and you have to deal with that supervisor. You have to deal with that unsaved supervisor. Or you have to deal with the supervisor that's so incredibly saved with their speech. But their actions might say something else. So you, you, have, to, you have to engage in life. And Peter has a word for us today regarding how we act at work. How do we behave at work? Now, one of my favorite sayings when I'm when I when I you know when I'm bold enough to be playing around with my wife. Every now and then, you know, brothers, we get a little swelling in our chest, we get tough, you know. One of my favorite sayings is when she tells me to do something, I, I kind of jokingly say, and I'm gonna emphasize jokingly here, I jokingly say, You ain't the boss of me. Maybe that's just my house. I don't know. I... <laughs> now, unfortunately, unfortunately, some of us have that very attitude when we go to our place of employment. We waltz into the place as if the boss better not even ask us to work. Some of y'all saw Bernie Mac say when he talked about us, you know. What did Bernie Mac say? Bernie Mac said, Bernie Mac said, we go to work with attitude like, I know they don't expect me to work today. I didn't come here to work. <laughs> and so we go, we go in to a job where they are paying us with an attitude like, you better not ask me to work. Now, I know none of the Bethel Gary folks do that. I, but it's, But it's those folks that do that when they get fired, and they often do, they are the first ones to shout about how their rights were violated. They were mistreated, and that job or that supervisor was completely unfair. In fact, some of us may know those type of people. If you don't know any, you might be one, I'm just saying. They always have their lawyer on speed dial. And somewhere they got a civil case pending. You know, I'm suing that job, and when I get my money. You know, I had people tell me that in church. Pastor, I'm suing that job, and when I get my money, I'm going to bless the church. I'm just waiting on them to give me my check. You know, they treated me bad. But here it is, my brothers and sisters. I want you to know that while there are certainly many instances of unfair labor practices in a sinful world full of sinful people, we live in a society that constantly seeks to redefine the rights of individuals based upon the popular norms of that day. 
our world wants to change every day. It seems like what's a right is changing every day. Now, now John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur says this about our world. He says, today, postmodern culture seems to cling on to only one basic moral obligation, the sacred duty to provide equal rights for everyone. No one any longer speaks in terms of sacrifice or privilege. These ideals are quickly moved to the passe file and replaced by one word, and that's rights. I got to have my rights. Now, on the surface, many of you might simply agree that we should always focus upon our rights as we see them. We live in an era where the word rights gets redefined almost daily, as I said. At first, rights were inalienable, created by our, endowed by our creator, those rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then rights became the response to every grievance, no matter how illogical. Let me illustrate. I have the right to free speech. But what if I insisted that my right to free speech meant that you had to buy me a sound system? a microphone and rent an auditorium so I could speak freely. Sounds ridiculous, right? So your right to free speech does not impose an obligation on someone else. Your right to free speech does not allow you to stand up right now and yell fire and then later on be talking about, I was talking about the fire of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so you don't have that right. to. You're, there are limits So the question before us is, should we as believers in Christ focus upon our rights or our service? Which one pleases God? Make no mistake now, God certainly cares about believers pursuing justice. In fact, in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, we read these words. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So then we might ask, is the pursuit of our rights And the pursuit of justice the same to God. The answer lies, as it always does, with God. It lies in our motivation. The reason the Bible doesn't speak much on Christian servants rebelling or personally striking from work is that in God's eyes, the seeking of justice for the poor, needy, and disenfranchised begins not with the criticism of government, but with our personal sacrifice of giving of ourselves to improve the lives of the poor and those who are in need. That's where it starts. What are we doing? Anybody can stand back and lob grenades of criticism. But what are we doing? Let me give you a few quick examples of this in Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, we read these words. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother. Now, now, you know, your hand, could you could just put the word wallet right there. (laughs) you shall open wide your hand to your brother to the needy and to the poor in your land psalms 41 and 1 says this blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble the lord delivers him Proverbs 14 and 21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner but blessed is he who is generous to the poor Proverbs 17 and 5, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Proverbs 22 and 16, whoever expresses the poor or or oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Jesus had these words to say in Luke 
14 and 12, he said also to the man who had invited him to this dinner. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in turn in return and you be repaid. He says, but when you give a feast, let me just make it in today's turn. When you throw a party, when you, when you get, when you have that feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In fact, in fact, my brothers and sisters, God seems to be so into what we do for others ahead of ourselves that James writes this in defining what true religion really is. Oh, I feel a little better now. He said, he says, religion in chapter one, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. A lot of us, you know, we go around talking about how we keep ourselves unstained from the world. But how many widows and orphans are you visiting? How much time are you spending with the least of these in God's eyes? So, so my brothers and sisters, the pursuit of blessing others over self is an important element to understanding why Peter wrote this to those exiled believers in the first century. Another important element <clears throat> to understanding this text is understanding the background and context to which Peter writes. The first century Roman Empire. In our text, Peter moves from what Christians look like as responsible citizens to what Christians look like as responsible employees. Complicating this is understanding the world into which Peter writes. Notice verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. At the time First Peter was written, nearly all Roman families had servants or staffs or slaves. One quarter of the entire population of the Roman Empire were slaves. That was approximately 60 million people. As Christianity spread, it spread through all levels of society, including the slave population. Now, I want you to understand something. Slavery in the Roman Empire in those days was not based on ethnicity. Wasn't based on the color of your skin. Slavery was based on the fact that we wanted to take over your country. And we conquered Romans, your country, and you became our servants. And so, so one whole book of the Bible, the book of Philemon, speaks into the difficulties of this aspect of society when Christian slave owners and Christian slaves were also Christian brothers. Now, that's a difficult circumstance. They were considered the property of the owner. But they served as managers and even trained professionals like doctors and teachers and lawyers and musicians were found themselves to be in this state of indentured servitude or slavery. They were generally well treated and they were extensive and there were extensive protections in Roman law about the treatment of slaves. Matter of fact, Bible professor and commentator Wayne Grudem makes this comment. He says, there is no current comparable status in the Western world. It was the most common employer and employee relationship in the ancient world. And Grudem adds this. He says, this means the application of the text to work and vocation is very appropriate. So as we look at this text, we have to look at in the concept, uh, the broader concept of what it means to be an employee and work with an employer. Okay? So now we understand the context and the culture to which Peter wrote this. And we can easily apply 
the same teaching to our culture through this employer and employee relationship. Now, Peter deposits two elements for discipleship application here. Here are your two discipleship points. Right now, first of all, there's a mandate for submission. And the second point is the motive for submission. Now, let's explore explore discipleship point one, the mandate for submission. Verse 18 says this, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Look at that phrase, be subject to your masters with all respect. Peter challenges all servants to be submissive to their masters with all respect. This is no easy task in the first century when servanthood was indentured and one was not free to quit or resign. Yet Peter issues this challenge for them to submit, not just to those who are kind. He says not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Watch this now. The Greek word for master here is despotai. From where we get the English word despot. Meaning evil ruler. That's the connotation. When you see there, somebody says you're acting like a despot. I wonder what would have happened to me if I was a little kid and told my father, you're acting like a despot. (laughs) You would know me in the past tense. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Now, now watch this. The Greek word for unjust here is scoliosis. Yeah, you heard that before. Meaning crooked or curved. And metaphorically, it means dishonest or perverse. Now, the medical disorder of scoliosis or the curvature of the spine comes from this word. If someone's dealing with scoliosis, it means that their their spine, which should be straight, has curved. Now, Peter directed these first century believer servants to respectfully serve the good masters, but also the despots, those who were not good. Now, according to this text, in the employee and employer relationship, it is critical that believers are to be submissive to our employers. Boy, y'all getting real quiet now. I'm about to stop and get a drink of water. Some of y'all thinking about your manager that you have, and Pastor, I don't care what you say, no way. <laughs> but watch this now. Watch this. I'm going to show you what God wants. God calls for submission in many areas of our lives, and this area is no different. There are some spiritual and practical reasons to submit to our employer. Let's look at the practical reason first. Our submission serves as an example to others and therefore works to the good of the organization. Everywhere God's people are, Every place we interact, we should always be working for the good. Every organization you belong to, every situation you're in, your family, and especially on your job, you should be working for the good of that organization. Now watch this. Let me tell you about my McDonald's experience. I didn't work for McDonald's. But I was in there about two months ago, and I was in McDonald's, and I was, I was hungry. I wanted to get me a quarter pounder with cheese and, you know, all the fixes. And, and all of a sudden, an argument broke out between the manager and an employee right in front of me. And when I tell you that they was getting down and arguing, it wasn't just, you know, go to the back and don't talk to me. It was loud. I said, do this. I said, do, I'm not doing anything. And it was blatant disrespect. Now watch this. In that, in that relationship, you had maybe a manager that was being unfair. But you had an employee that was reacting in the flesh. 
and you had a customer, which was me, that just wanted a quarter cheese with no onions. I'm just saying. And, and what ultimately happened in that situation is that while they were arguing, I just walked out. Why? Because I didn't feel like giving my money to a place that decided that they're going to let employees and employers talk to each other like that in front of the customers. So your attitude should be to the good of the organization. Now, watch this now. Watch this. Our submission also, especially to the unjust employer, demonstrates a humility that is an important element of our faith. Submission to an unjust employer helps us learn the lesson of humility. It's easy to say you have humility until it's tested. Because what the flesh wants to do is bring that pride up in your life. Let me show you how pride, as soon as you open your mouth and say, nobody talking to me like that. Now, you think you're right, but that's your pride that's come to your defense. Nobody is going to talk to me like that. Look at this. Colossians chapter 3, because I see you don't want to take my word for it, but (laughs) I'm going to take you to the Bible. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, except when you're at work. (laughs) That's not there, is it? (laughs) That last part you can leave off. that's, That's not there. You have to put these things on all the time. When you deal with your children, especially your grown children. Oh, my goodness. I was about to digress for sure there. I almost went all the way in. But, but, but you have to put this stuff on. We are called to wear these things as a manner of life. Now, let me tell you the spiritual reason why, why this submission is important. Spiritual reason here. Paul illustrates this reason well in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. It says this, bond servants or employees obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. I'm just going to let that marinate for a minute. As you would Christ. Watch this now. Verse 6 says this. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. You don't just want to give a nod to obedience and submission. You don't just do it just to please people. But as bond servants... Of Christ. So now you've got bond service or an employee here juxtaposed against being an employee of Christ. I'm a bond servant here, but and more importantly, I'm a bond servant of Christ. I used to be a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave to Christ. Notice how my status did not change. I'm still a servant. I used to serve my flesh. Now I serve the spirit. I'm still a servant. Watch this now. Verse 7 says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from your boss. No. No. Doesn't say that if you submit to your boss, you're going to get it back from your boss. It says you're going to get this back from the Lord. I wish I had somebody that trusted God today. This leads us to our second discipleship point in this text. 
You have this mandate to submit. Now you have the motive to submit. What compels you to submit? Look at verse verse 19 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's a compelling, a compelling reason. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For believers, our chief concern in the workplace should not be how much we get paid. Boy, you can hear a mouse rock on, rock, walk on cotton right now. I'm just. <laughs> I just can't bear. I just emptied the building right there. <laughs> your chief concern should not be the amount of your salary. I'm going to mess you up now. One of the reasons why. In other places in the world, you see companies excelling. Part of it is culturally, those places like the Japanese don't work for themselves. When they, anybody remember that? That was the movie with Michael Keaton is uh, 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 somebody making cars. I don't, I forget the title. Yeah, it's a long time ago. In the 80s, by the way. <laughs> but, but one of the things that you saw is that their ethic culturally was that whenever you sign up on that assembly line, you are working for the company for the national pride of your nation. Not here. I wish they would try to... <laughs> We don't we don't generally see that in America. In Western culture, it's all about the individual. But now see, remember something. God is calling you out of the flesh of your culture and into this new nation called his family. And he says, in my family. In my family. When you go to work, you work. When you go to work, you submit to authority even when that authority is unjust. I'm trying to get them back, Dex. <laughs> See, our chief concern should be how we present Christ before a world of unbelievers who are watching our every move. We must decide, my brothers and sisters, if we truly care about representing Christ. See, we care about it right now in here. Because it's easy to represent him in here because you have other Christians around you. But do you really care about representing Christ in the world? Okay, you may not believe me, but look at Philippians chapter 2. Verse 14 and 15. Paul says this. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things. Even when you go to work. All means all, right? Somebody ought to say amen. Give me some retired people that will shout with me today. Y'all can help me. <laughs> Come on, Pastor. Preach it. I'm retired. I <laughs> <laughs> but see, but see, watch this. It's, 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 you'll do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Now watch this. Where, where is it at? Where do you have no blemish? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Look at that word crooked. It's the same Greek word scoliosis. You got crooked masters 
crooked employers because you live in a crooked world. We live in a crooked generation. And so, therefore, so you can shine. Don't be crooked. Like the master is or the, or the boss. The motivation for believers to model Christ as selfless examples of submission resides in this very short phrase in verse 20. For this is a gracious thing. God is pleased when we work with a heart of humility and submission to authority. He is pleased when we trust him in the midst of an unjust circumstance. Don't go to your flesh, but trust in the Lord. Don't go to what your mind or your flesh is telling you to do, but trust in the Lord. Now, let's go back to James. James says, he says this to highlight this ideal of submitting in difficulty. In James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, through 2 through 4, he says, count it all joy. Y'all ain't getting this today. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. See, every trial is not going to be that trial that you see coming. I wish I had a witness here. Sometimes trials are very sneaky. Sometimes trials will ease up and you look up and trials standing right next to you. How'd you get here? You didn't see it coming. Trials can show up in the worst of times. You go to the doctor feeling pretty good for your checkup, and he said, something here came back not right. Trials. Count it all joy. Look at somebody say, count it all joy. I, I, I know what you're going through, but count it all joy. I know it's tough for you right now, but count it all joy. For you know, watch this now, for you know, you have sure knowledge of that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What is it that makes you able to stand in the midst of the most severe storms in your life? It's because God had tested your faith and you saw him deliver you before. And if he did it before, he can do it again. This ain't the first rodeo I have with God. I didn't seen God do some great things in my life before. David said he got me out the muck and mire and put my feet on a solid rock. And on Christ the solid rock I stand. Because, because he's done it before. So you know, you know that this produce the trying of your faith produces steadfastness. And then James says this, and let this steadfastness have its full effect. You know what that means? Don't abort the process. Hmm. I'm getting ready to mess you up right now. Sometimes God will impregnate your life with trouble. I wish I had somebody here. And God says, you got to let this trouble just come to its full term. See, you want to abort the process. You want to say, Lord, move this mountain. And God is saying, I'm not in the mountain moving business right now. I'm in the strength giving business. And I'm going to give you strength to climb this mountain. See, you've been praying for a healing, and God says, start praying to endure. I wish I had No, I know you want to be healed, but God says, give me some strength. Pray to endure that my will be done. Don't get quiet now. How is it all these Christians want to, want to be saved, but don't nobody want to go to heaven? You know, heaven not like the Holiday Inn Express. You can't check in and check out. 
I'm going to heaven for a couple of days, baby. I'll be back. No, that, that's not how that works. When you leave here and go there, you're not coming back here. So, so you got to understand this. You got to get this thing. You got to get this thing. So he said, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The problem with this is that for some of us, we think trusting God means doing nothing. Watch this now. What we forget is that trusting God is doing something. Placing our concerns in the hands of the Lord. That's not being idle. That's saying, I'm going to put my concerns in a place where they can be dealt with by the one that can deal with it a lot better than me. That's why Paul can tell you to be anxious for nothing. Put your concerns in the hands of the Lord. Now, Peter presses his argument further in verse 20 with this rhetorical question. He says, for what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it that you endure? If you guilty, (laughs) I could have the best defense attorney in the world. But if the judge says, I'm guilty, if I do the crime and I know I'm guilty and I end up getting sentenced to prison, then, then why, why am I complaining? Jail is for guilty people. Now, I admit, all, not all time guilty people go there, but it is for guilty people. And so, and so watch this now. He says, you, if your suffering should be expected when you're guilty. This is, this is that self-induced kind of suffering. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to go to church whenever I feel like it. I'm going to treat everybody like I'm the most important person in the world. And then when nobody will talk to me, oh, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. I'm going through. Some of this is self-induced. But look at what he says. But if when you do good, And suffer. For it you endure. This is a gracious thing. In the sight of God. When we do good. That brings the grace of God. Into our lives on another level. When you suffer for doing good. The grace of God meets you right there. And God may not ease your suffering. You may have to go to work with that manager that gets on your last nerve. You know, you don't have but two, a first and a last. (laughs) It gets on your last nerve and God says, I'm not moving. I want you to be an example of of my love and my grace and my humility. I want you to shine in the midst of darkness. See, light, light is cool with other light. That's kind of how we are right now. (laughs) You know, we're hanging out with other light. Hey, what's up, light of the world? How you doing, light of the world? Hey, light of the world. Hey, you letting your light shine. Yes, you are. But when you go to that job and you to only save somebody up in there, let your light shine there. Don't go around trying to see how dark you can get. <laughs> Walk up to the water cooler. What y'all talking about? And they laugh and enjoy. Oh, we just telling this. Oh, I heard one. You start telling a joke. That's that's not right. I'm telling you, let your light shine. Be glad when you walk up, they stop that foolishness. I ain't mad. 
I was growing up, when I was growing up, I first started in ministry, and 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 a, and a, 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 a man was sitting in the in the basement. We were at a friend's house, and I came down the stairs, and they, somebody said, "That's the young preacher over there," and he put his drink behind. At first, I felt some kind of way about that, but then I learned if your light shines on darkness. And it gets those who are in darkness to stop doing what they should not be doing. I wonder what would happen if we were one Friday night went over here to the to the club and all us had our Bethel shirts on and Bibles in our hands and we come in there singing we shall be rejoicing bringing in the sheaves you know. <laughs> I want to do that once just to see if anybody here, here get recognized when they go. I'm, no, I'm just. <laughs> oh, that's how you going at, huh? Okay. Dex ain't about that life, man. Come on now. <laughs> Watch this. Listen, no one wants, I'm, I'm almost done. No one wants to suffer unjustly. But think of the opportunity to honor God in the midst of unjust suffering. God moves on the behalf of those who honor him in their suffering. And and look, in closing here, Peter directs us to the perfect example of submission that glorifies God. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. And his implication here is, is that Jesus suffered unjustly at the hands of an unjust employer, which was Satan in this world. He brought his just and righteous self into a world that was unjust and suffered for our behalf. He says, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. Jesus took submission so seriously that he took it to a place of death. He took it to Golgotha. He took submission to Calvary. And even as he was walking up Calvary's hill, the weight of the cross, he was bowing. Underneath the shame and the scourge, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. He took submission so seriously. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not as I will, not as my flesh wants, but but Father, your will be done. We need some employees with a nevertheless attitude. I may have to go into this job and I might have to suffer, but nevertheless, not my will, but God's will be done. Take it so seriously because Jesus took it seriously. Submit so that you glorify Christ in your submission. Stand on your feet all over the room.